So if you'd turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and update you. We had 133 gospel contacts this week. That brings your total up to 5,727. 5,727 for the year. Just keep sharing God's Word. Keep putting those tracks out. You never know who's going to read them. As they used to say when I grew up, be a rabbit and leave tracks everywhere. Titus chapter 2. The past few weeks we've been studying Paul's admonition to Titus. He's telling Titus, who was over several churches, he was telling them what they should be teaching the pastors at those local churches to be teaching the Christians. They were newly established churches. This is when the gospel message was being, for the first time, uh, taken to uh, heathen lands. And uh, so the churches were, were newly uh, set up, and uh, a lot of the doctrine hadn't settled yet. So there had to be people uh, like Titus and like the apostles who were over making sure that everyone uh, had the correct doctrine. And so we saw what they'd been teaching the young men, the young women to be like. And now today, Paul is going to tell Titus what he should teach Christians in the workplace to be like, how they can be godly employees. And some people think that Religion belongs inside the church house. I've heard people say that before. Well, y'all need to keep your religion inside the church house. But the fact that Paul is telling Titus what the pastor should be teaching the servants in the church, how they should behave in the workforce, that shows us that God wants us to follow His Word and represent His kingdom no matter where we are in life. Outside the church house. Man, when we come in here, this is just the filling station. But out there, that's the road we're traveling on for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told Titus, if you'd look in verse 9 with me, please. He said, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word and the wonderful time of teaching and worship we've had already this morning. We love you so much. And I pray that you'll, by your Holy Spirit, feed us in your word this morning. Help us to understand your message to us. Open each eye and heart this morning, dear Lord God, and may them all be on you, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So Paul is telling employees here, he said, Titus, you need to exhort, that means you need to encourage Christians who are in a position of servitude to another person. Christians who are employees. Christians who are contractors. Christians who are slaves, even. Anyone who works for another person. And you know what? That's almost everybody, isn't it? Excuse me, and if you don't work for another person and you work for yourself, then whoever you're providing service to, you're working for that person, you see? Everybody's working for somebody. Everybody's providing a good or a service. 
Even if you're in leadership, even if you're king, you're serving a nation. So he says here, uh, Paul said to be obedient to their masters, meaning their supervisors, all the way to their slave owners, or whatever management authority the providence of God has placed over them at that time. And you may be thinking here this morning, I'm not going to submit to some slave owner, Brother Richard. But the truth is, Christian, you don't know what your life is going to look like tomorrow. You don't. We don't know what our life's going to look like tomorrow. Don't think slavery can't happen in America. I mean, it has before, right? <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. Don't think that China can't come over here, take us over, and send the most respectful among us to go work in a sweatshop. You don't think that can happen? That can happen. You can be a slave tomorrow. may not look like what it used to look like. But it's slavery nonetheless. Israel didn't think it would happen to them, did they? But it did. Babylon came and took them all away, or, or a lot of them away. In one generation, one generation. You ever watch those old 1940s war movies, World War II movies? You look at that and you think, man, those folks look so much cleaner, were so much smarter. Men look like men, women look like women, and they were able to... Defeat a world power, and you look at us today, and you got some transvestite pretending to be an admiral in our military and all that, and you think, my goodness, they, the enemies have to be laughing at us. One generation of time, the nation of Egypt stripped Israel from their freedom and made them slaves. That's all it took. One generation. Nobody is promised freedom and lifelong national autonomy. No nation is. No person is. And as we near our Lord's return, we would be very wise to remember that. You may be sitting here thinking, I'm not going to submit to some foreign government. If China comes over here, this is America. Well, you may feel all patriotic now. But when you're overpowered and outnumbered, sometimes a person has to do what a person has to do. When Israel was overpowered by Babylon, you know what God told them to do? He didn't say fight. He said submit. He said you submit to their authority and you embrace the loss of your national autonomy. So Brother Richard, that doesn't sound very patriotic. God didn't call Christians to be patriots. He called them to be followers of God's word. Don't think that God's an American. God is not an American. God is King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 4, the Lord spoke to, quote, All that are carried away captives, whom, listen now, I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Who caused those Jews to be carried from Jerusalem to Babylon? God said, I did. Now listen to what God told those people that he turned into slaves. He said, here's what you do. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit thereof. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to your hu to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, and that ye may be increased there and not diminished. 
and seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, you need to live just like you would have lived back home. Someone come over here, China, someone come over here and they were to take us and move us back to China on ships and put us to work in the slave shop. You know what God's saying? He says, you pray for the peace of Bangkok. You pray for the peace of whatever city you've been moved into. Whether I have caused you to be moved to. And you work. And you have sons and daughters. And you live just like you normally would. Don't sit around and pitch a fit and sit in a corner and suck your thumb. This is the situation I put you in. Now you yield to the authority I put over you. Even if it is an enemy authority. I was the one who caused you to be rooted away from your homeland. So don't resist the power I have placed over you. Seek the peace of your city. When God calls Joseph to be a slave to Potiphar in Egypt, Joseph yielded to his slave owner. When God calls Joseph to be falsely accused and sent to prison, Joseph yielded to the leader of the prison. When God promoted Joseph out of prison and set him as second in command over the nation of Israel, Joseph yielded to Pharaoh. So Paul is saying, since God put you in the position you are in, then you yield to the authority he's placed over you, whether it's your job at work, your master in a sweatshop, or the guard in the prison house. You yield. A Christian should be known for obeying the rules and Doing a good job for his employer. In verse 9, underscore the word obedient. Obedient. And now go back in verse 5. You'll see that word obedient again. In verse 5, underscore the word obedient. The word obedient in verse 5 is speaking about the wives being obedient unto their husbands. The word obedient in verse 9 is speaking about servants being obedient to their masters. So, wives, this means you should never submit to your boss at work better than you submit to your husband at home. Women today will enter the workplace, they'll fix themselves up real pretty, put on some perfume. They'll exhibit a great smile and a great attitude for their boss and they'll do anything to make that boss happy. But when they get home, it's a whole other story, isn't it, Brother Doug? No, I'm kidding, Miss Sheila. I'm kidding. With you. I'm kidding. Miss Sheila's a good wife. But it's a whole other story. A whole other story. The fact is, your husband's authority trumps your employer's authority every time. Ladies, you should be a better helper to your husband at home than you are to your boss at work. If not, you're out of the will of God. And don't say, well, my boss appreciates me at work and shows some appreciation. My husband doesn't. If my husband showed me some appreciation, then I'd do a better job. Paul didn't say, be obedient if you're appreciated. He said, be obedient. 
He didn't say be obedient to your master if your master is good to you and gives you good benefits. He said be obedient. He didn't say be obedient to your husband if your husband appreciates you. He said be obedient. If your boss doesn't appreciate you at work, men and women, that's between your boss and God. But if you are not obedient to your boss... Christian, that's between you and God. You see? Paul said, teach them to be obedient, look back in the text, and to please them well in all things. Do your best to make your bosses happy. That's what Paul's saying. As an employee, you should do your best to make your boss happy at work. Do your best to make your husband happy at work. Do your best to make your slave owner happy if you happen to be put in that position. When you read the account of Potiphar and Joseph in the nation of Egypt, when when Joseph was Potiphar's slave, you'll see that Potiphar was very pleased with Joseph's work. Joseph didn't want to be a slave, but when God's providence put him into slavery, he decided he's going to be the best slave he can be. Joseph didn't want to be an inmate in prison, when God's providence landed him in prison, he decided he's going to be the model prisoner, the best one he could be. He said, well, Brother Richard, I'm stuck in a dead-end job. Then you be the best dead-end employee you can be. That's what you do. So, Man, I'm stuck working in Effie's cottage, slaving over a hot stove. And you be the best Effie's cottage employee you can be. If you're told to do something, then do what you're told and please your boss. And look what it says back in the text. Here's how you do it. It says, not answering again. Now, today we would say, not talking back. Don't talk back to them. (laughs) Don't, Don't give your boss any back talk. True obedience comes from your hearts. Recognizing that by obeying our boss, we're not obeying Man, we're obeying God who told us to obey our boss. It's okay to offer advice to your boss. There's a lot of times when I'm at work, I have a supervisor at work. There's a lot of times my foot, I see my supervisor about to make a mistake. And I say, now, this here is probably what we ought to do. And he's humble enough to say, you know, Richard, that's a good idea. It's probably what we ought to do. Sometimes they say, now I think we ought to do this here. Well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what the boss says. There we go. And so true obedience comes from our heart. Again, it's okay to give advice, but don't make them dread telling you something. I remember when, when I was a, a highway patrol trooper, I, my partner and I, we used to get called to more accidents than the other troopers. And I thought, why do they keep calling us on these accidents? They need to spread the love around, you know. And finally, one day, a dispatcher for the sheriff's department said, uh, Richard, I, I usually send you and Jimmy out because uh, y'all are so much easier to work with than those other troopers are. They give me a hard time when I call them. And I thought, well, that's what I get for being so nice, you know. But you know what? That's what we ought to be at work. Don't make your boss think, oh, I got to go tell, I gotta go tell Andy Shepard Go out and do such and such, you know, and, and uh, I know every time I do, he's going to argue with me. That's not what happens with Brother Shepherd at work, I guarantee you. 
And that's not what's going to happen with me. Listen to your boss with a cheerful attitude. And, and let them know, hey, I'm going to handle it. And then you handle it in a way that pleases them well. When I'm told to do something, I'll say, you got it. It's done. I run off. It's done. And he said, do it, look in verse 10, not purloining. I tell you what, nothing's worse than a purloining Pentecostal or purloining Baptist. How many of y'all are guilty of purloining? No hands going up. Nobody knows what purloining is. Purloining is embezzlement. It's embezzlement. As an employee, we're often caretakers of our master's goods, aren't we? Brother Tony probably sometimes has uh, extra nails and screws and other things like that that could walk off the job. As a farms instructor at work, I sometimes have the opportunity to take more ammunition than I need to qualify the employees at work. I could set myself a box or two and take on the house with me. But that would be purloining. That would be embezzling. My employers have placed that ammunition into my care. And they should do it with confidence. And when you're at work, I'm sure you have things placed into your care too. It may just be something as simple as a ream of paper. Something like that. Suppose you are in the construction business. And you have access to Brother Tony's wood screws. I'm not preaching to you. It was already in my notes. I didn't even know you was going to be here. (laughs) But suppose that you were to go work for Brother Tony. And you had access to his wood screws. Make sure those screws are used for the project that you're working on for Brother Tony. And not for the project you're working on back at the house. Right? If the owner tells you to take the screws, then that's fine. The owner gave them to you. But if the owner doesn't give you authority to take the screws or to take the ammunition or to take the ream of paper, leave it alone or else you're stealing. Never let your familiarity with your boss's goods cause you to think they are your own. Be a good employee, not back-talking, not embezzling, look back in your text, but showing all good fidelity. Meaning we are to show that we have good moral convictions when we're at work. There's a man the other day said uh, he'd like to get one of my co-workers. He said, I'd like to take him into such and such place. It was a house of ill repute. Because he knew that he would never do anything like that. And he would like to see the embarrassment on his face. Because the man's so godly. He's a godly man. There's nothing ever unclean come out of his mouth. He said, I'd like to get old Jim in to take him into so and such. And he was wrong for saying that. But he just thought it would be fun to see him embarrassed and see him blush. But you know what? It's good to have the kind of reputation... That uh, your bosses know there's some lines you, you're not going to cross. Because you have good fidelity. You have standards you're not going to cross. You're not going to violate those standards. Don't take time 
that doesn't belong to you. Don't take goods that don't belong to you. Do a good job with a good attitude. Show your boss at work that you have all good fidelity. You've got some good moral convictions as an employee. And as a child of God, be the type of person they can trust the type of person they, will know, they know will not do certain things, will not cross certain lines because of the good moral convictions you have. They know that they can put you somewhere. You're not going to start flirting with another man's wife at work and end up having some kind of sexual scandal. That happens all the time. A few years ago, one of the people at one of the courthouses got caught... On top of the roof of the courthouse. Thank God it wasn't the courthouse I work at. But my goodness, in the middle of a big town and someone in another sky rise looked down on the roof and there they were. Be the type of employee you know. Well, I know who that wasn't. I know that wasn't Brother Richard. I know that wasn't Brother Andy. It might have been these other people, but I know it wasn't this. There was a while back, years back, uh, Becky, I think you were working, uh, I know you were, you were, I was in regulatory crimes when this happened. I went down to the Capitol in Austin, and uh, I was teaching a class uh, down there in Austin. I was teaching advanced uh, motor vehicle theft, and I got me a hotel room the night before. I woke up that morning, I went to the 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 headquarters to teach the class, and uh, there was another class going on at the same time called motor vehicle inspection. I didn't know hardly anything about motor vehicle inspection, but I knew a lot about motor vehicle theft. And so I was teaching motor vehicle inspection. Someone else was teaching motor vehicle. I'm sorry, I was teaching motor vehicle theft. Someone else was teaching motor vehicle inspection. See how confusing it can get. And so, so some people in motor vehicle inspection thought, well, I thought Richard's supposed to be down here teaching. I hope he's okay. They called and, and they, 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 they started trying to call me on the phone. Well, I got my phone in the truck. I don't want my phone going off while I'm teaching the class. And they're calling and next thing you know, they can't get a hold of me. They called my family. They didn't know where I was. Several members of my family. Next thing you know, they start calling me. Of course, I can't answer my phone. I'm teaching. Next thing you know, they start doing what policemen do. They started, they called the Texas Rangers. They ran a check on my credit card, found out what hotel I was in, went to the hotel room, make sure I wasn't dead with a heart attack inside the hotel room. They started a big investigation on me. They tried pinging my cell phone. And when they pinged my cell phone, guess where it showed where I was? As at headquarters. But while they were calling and investigating, trying to find out where I was, they did everything but put me on a milk carton. They called my brother. And they said, who's now in heaven? They called my brother, who was a trooper. They said, Brad... You don't think Richard would be, uh, you know, out with another woman, you know, like that? Brad said, no, Richard wouldn't do that. You can rule that out right now. 
And you know what? When I found out that's what he told them, I thought it's good to have that kind of reputation. If you call yourself a Christian and push comes to shove, you want to be the type of person that the people at work that know you, the person asked my brother, he didn't know me. The people at work that know you, you be the type of person they say, no. Rick Lasky wouldn't do that. No. Larry Colvin, not him. He wouldn't do that. Billy Baker wouldn't do that. Your actions, look back in the text, that they, that is your good moral convictions, may adorn the doctrine of God. You know what adorn means? It means to put clothes on. To put clothing on something. Your actions will adorn God's doctrines. That's what Paul's saying. Your actions will adorn God's doctrines. What you do should always adorn what the Bible teaches. When we profess to be Christians and we live contrary to what the Bible teaches, we don't adorn the doctrines of God. We don't adorn the name of Jesus Christ. We put a stain on it. My wife had a garment out today and she looked at it and there was a little spot on it. She said, I hope that's water and not oil. Why? She was trying to adorn herself, not stain herself. Right? You don't want to come to church with a stain on you. You want to come looking good. And when you're at work, you want to make the Lord Jesus Christ and His church look good. When you live contrary to what the Bible teaches, your actions become a stain on Christianity. But when you profess to be a Christian, and you live according to what the Bible teaches, then your actions become a beautiful adornment to the doctrines of Christianity, the doctrine of God. Now notice that Paul calls God, look back at your text, he calls God our Savior. And maybe you're thinking right now, but I thought Jesus was our Savior. Why would he call God our Savior? God is our Savior. Salvation is of the Lord. And the reason uh, Jesus is called our Savior is because Jesus is God, our Savior. All the glory for salvation belongs to God alone. Now, Jesus was both God and man. He was God, the Bible says, who became flesh. So as the Son of Man, if you'll notice in Scripture, Jesus gave all the glory to His Father. He said, the works I do, they're not my works, or the works of my Father that sent me. The words I say, they're not my words, or the words of the Father who sent me. I do always those things that please Him, Jesus said. So as the Son of Man, Jesus gave all the glory to God, but as the Son of God, all the glory belongs to Jesus. Does that make sense? All three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Godhead play a part in God's redemption plan. I want to give you a quick example. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible speaks of all three persons in the Trinity as raising Jesus from the dead for our salvation. All three persons. Acts chapter 13, verse 30. Acts chapter 13, verse 30 says, God raised him from the dead. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Jesus says, I lay down my life 
that I might take it again. He says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. So God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. God the Son raised himself from the dead. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, refers to, quote, the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. So there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all raising Jesus from the dead. God is our Savior. He gave the Son. He raised the Son. He set the Son on high to redeem us from our sins. So let your Christian actions adorn His Christian teachings. And do so, look back at your text as we close, in all things. In everything. Not being slack in any matter at work. But in all things growing in God's grace. Unto God's glory. Shining in your place of work. And with that we'll go ahead and close today. We'll go next door. And I hope you'll leave here being good employees. I hope you'll be the best employee when you go back to work Monday. Or whenever it is. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you've so blessed us, Lord, with jobs. Thank you, Father, that you give us our daily bread. And we thank you for the bread we're about to receive. We're grateful, Lord, that we're employed, that we have the health to work, those of us who do and still are. We thank you, Father, for the finances you give us. Lord, let us be worthy of the finances we receive. Let us never rob our boss of the dignity and respect they deserve. The work they deserve. The attitude they deserve. Let us, Lord, manifest the adornment of Jesus Christ in the workplace. That our labor may give Him glory. Bless the food we're about to receive to our bodies. Give us wonderful, sweet fellowship together. Thank you for those who came today. And I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, give us a wonderful time of fellowship as we listen to the singing and, and the devotion Brother Doug's going to give after uh, we eat. And just be a good time of worship together, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.